McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Bumpy fans, and welcome to Peel Forecast, episode 183. Well, last week it seemed like the playoffs could be in reach, but after two games, whoopsie-daisy, is it gone? Join the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? Oh, I am not so bad here. It was nice to see you at the Welcome game on Easter Monday. That was the main highlight, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> catch up with mates in the stand rather than the football on the pitch. Uh, yeah, disappointing two results, which we'll go through very deflating and didn't make me feel better that I worked the Easter weekend. Yeah, I didn't uh, work the Easter weekend. I actually spent it having a lot of fun, partying, going out so much so that people sort of were questioning my decision to be drinking water in the back of the stand at at Fratton Park and saying, someone grabbed me by the arm and said, who are you and what have you done with Hugh? Which I thought was amusing. It's probably about the funniest thing that happened all game, really. It, it was amusing, to be fair. It's not like you, is it, to carry water into the stand? But no, I had some fun on Saturday, though. Power boating with a veterans charity. So that was that was awesome with, with the video and everything. Have you got photos slash video of that? It, uh, there's a video on my Twitter of just okay, the boat going around a boy and stuff. I take so much interest in your Twitter profile, then, as you see, I've missed the, the video of you power boating. I don't post on Twitter much, to be fair. That's one thing I need to do. Obviously, there's a balance between staying on social media too much, but uh, but then actually using it properly. So, Yeah, Andy's popped us off, by the way, for a date. So hopefully he gets lucky. I was a bit a complete waste of his time not turning up on the show, but there you go. You can't, you can't cock block your mate, can you? So good luck, Andy. All right, let's get the podcast going. So first of all, we're going to review the game against MK Dons. Following on from that, we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to really lift the mood and talk about the Morecambe game. And then we put a question out to you guys. And thanks to everyone who messaged in. It really makes the show. We appreciate it. And we said to you guys, what players do we need in what positions in the summer to strengthen the squad? And finally, we're going to preview the game, which matters oh so much now, away at Shrewsbury. Right, let's get going, Fred. MK Dons. It looked like it was quite a good start at the beginning, didn't it? You know, just before the goal, we're sort of dominating possession. It looked really nice, the the Lowry, Morel and Pat combination. So I just want to ask you, first of all, you know, if that kept going throughout the game, do you reckon that would have been a quite easy three points? Uh, I think it would have been a three points. It, would have been, it wouldn't have been easy. It wouldn't go that far. But Pompey seemed on top beforehand. It showed up in the analytics and it showed up just by listening to game on the radio while I was working. There are a couple of chances for MK Dons for Ogilvy's goal, but nothing clear cut. The high press was there before the goal. The passes allowed per defensive action with the low number being a high press was at six. 
just before the goal. Sort of fairly on top, nice intricate play in the midfield between Burrell, Pack and Lowry. Very nice. And it seemed relatively solid. And yeah, Conor Ogilvy's goal was a peach, wasn't it? Yeah, Sean Ruggets is trying to say, Oi, this is what I can do. Obviously, we get a free kick, ball gets played to Lowry, out to Sean Raggett, who puts in a sort of Beckham mess cross into the box to find Ogilvy at the back post, who still had a bit to do, didn't he, when he when he hit it and, and struck it into the bottom corner? Yeah, there was a lot of technique there. Um, obviously, he had to keep it down, sort of, and also hit it down with power to get past the keeper. But no, it was right in the right in the corner, hits the side netting, and yeah, lovely finish, perfect goal. And yeah, Sean Brackett with that cross. I, I never knew he had that in his locker, but apparently he does. I don't think he does have it in his locker. <laughs> I'm going to put it out there, you know. If you throw enough at mud at a wall, whatever, something with a stick, it's one of those situations where he's in a good position, he just puts his foot through it, and you know, sometimes you get lucky, and I think that's what it is. Do you think it's one of those things then that he's got the sort of quality, which means he should be taking free kicks and corners? I personally don't. I think it was just one good ball. Uh, I wouldn't go that far, but it, it shows that he he was in the he was in the right position to receive the ball from Lowry, and it was a lovely cross, one to uh, one touch out of his feet as well, Cur- uh, curving away from the goalkeeper into that danger area where Ogilvy was at back post on his own. You can't get better than that, can you? No, but let's move on then. Let's talk about the red card. Because I've got a few thoughts on it. Obviously, it's from a corner, ball into the box. I'm still a bit confused about why the headlock dragged to the floor isn't seen as dangerous play. Freddie, do you think that's seen as dead and dangerous play when you grab someone around the head and pull them to the floor? Yeah, that was missed by the referee. Uh, I've only seen the clip back on iFollow. Uh, I was listening to the game on the radio at the time. With the headlock, it, it 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 seemed like tussling, which is fair enough, which is the referee's discretion whether he gives it as a foul or not. If he sees it as dangerous play as a proper drag to the floor, then yes, he has to give a card at least of a yellow. When I first saw the clip of the knee, it was actually just a short one in context in slow motion, so I didn't think it was that bad. But from speaking to people who are at the game and also looking it back a few times, I think the problem is it's just needless. You're, you're giving, you're, you're making a decision for the referee to give, aren't you? If he doesn't do that motion, then Morel wouldn't have been even sent off at all. He, a referee might not have given the, the tussle going to the floor, but he wouldn't have given the dangerous play afterwards. And it says a lot that Pompey aren't appealing the red card that came out. Uh, Andy Moon mentioned that, um, today because they don't, they don't see it being overturned and it's a four match ban. A long bank, so that's Joe Morrell's second red card, given that suspension, the injuries, the World Cup. He's missed a lot of football, and that's, that's unreliable. And it's one of the reasons why Pompey has struggled this season. Availability of not just him, but loads of other players for various reasons. I can see why people would make an argument and say it's harsh, but it was needless. There, there was no need to even... I know that the tussle they bundled in on the floor, but there was no need to even put the knee in as he was getting up. He could, he could have even stayed on the floor waiting for the opposition player to get up to go to avoid it if he wanted to. Yeah, and I, I think that's fair enough. You can't say then in in that situation it's not a red card and you can say that's needless, etc. Wasn't the other red card though he had that high foot challenge, which was a complete joke of a red card, which when we asked for it to be rescinded, wasn't rescinded. So I do think it's fine to put that into context that quite a few people have been saying, oh, it's his second red card, you know, he's out of control and stuff. I think the first one was actually pretty harsh, considering 
basically the player sort of dived his head into the foot of Joe Morrell, who's pretty short, to be honest, and it's not raised that high. So I think it's just fair in context to say it's not like Joe Morrell's running around kneeing and headbutting people generally. I think the first one was pretty unjustified, and this one is silly and you know shouldn't be wiped under the carpet but at the same time doesn't mean he's this reckless player who you know needs to be got rid of for that reason no i wouldn't go that far either yeah remembering the hype boot that was a ridiculous a ridiculous decision but i think nowadays with all the controversy across the leagues around refereeing they're just backing them uh literally anything that isn't completely and obviously egregious like the uh matoma penalty for brighton recently Anything that's not completely and utterly egregious and 100% wrong, they're just backing them, even if it's soft, even if it's any word you like, really. Um, yeah, so I don't blame the club for not appealing because if they do, they could probably add another game for Morel on top and probably got five games left. Morel's missing four of them. It's not brilliant, is it? No, it's not. And when we come on to the Morecambe game, we'll say about, I think he was pretty much missing the centre of midfield, but... Moving on from that challenge, Pompey sort of saw out time, didn't they, until half time? And John Messinio chose to change it up a little bit with the formation and go to five at the back, bringing on Clark Robertson. I thought, you know, looking back on it, it's easy to say in hindsight, but even at the time, I was thinking, we're not going to be able to defend for 45 minutes and sit back. And that change sort of enabled us to be in that situation where we were very deep. And it was only really sort of a matter of time, wasn't it, then, Fred, about you know, a goal was going to come. I think given that we're down to 10 men, I don't, I'm not completely saying that the burn to the back five is a bad thing. John Senior mentioned sitting back after the 1-0 lead uh, with Andy Moon, where he said, we had the one goal and we thought to come and break us down and see if we can make any chances. But the problem is, but MK Dons, for what they were, they do create some chances. And even with the goal, it wasn't a complete clear-cut bit of play beforehand. It was play from a short corner eventually falls to Paris Bagona, hits a shot straight into the box, Wilbrig touches it wide to Mo Isa, who's nearest, and collects it, and then two defenders are out of play there. Now, I think Pompey could, Pompey could have done a better job closing Isa down when he gets gets the ball onto a strong foot because he starts to turn, but then it's just a strong shot into the corner, and then there we are. You could have, I guess, kept it with, well, it would have been a 4-2-2-1, without going to five at the back, try and keep some control there, try and keep some possession. But the way MK Dons play, they're always going to hog possession with players like Dean Lewington, who's very comfortable on the ball. Joshua Keckeran, very comfortable on the ball as well. It was a tough one. In hindsight, it might have been the bad thing to go back to the back five that quickly. Do you remember when the sub was made? Because I wouldn't have minded it if it was like half maybe... Time. Half time. Yeah, that's two sets. Yeah. Maybe if it was... 10 minutes to go and the players were knackered. You could at least make an argument for doing that, couldn't you? Especially down to 10 men. But yeah, halftime was too soon. But the manager admitted the mistake as well in the media afterwards, and that's fair enough, isn't it? And the sub afterwards, bringing Joe Piggott on, it was clear that that idea didn't work and he immediately changed it. Yeah, and it's not a case of me sort of going in and laying it on Messinio, because I think generally his decision has been pretty good with substitutes. And it's just one of those. If it works, everyone thinks he's a genius. It didn't work out, but... I think at half time is too early, as we said already. Let's move on then. It was quite interesting to see how MK, once they got that goal, actually sort of changed how they played. I mean, if they'd carried on pressing us like that, I think they probably would have come away with three points at home. But instead, the game sort of went a bit, you know, end to end, didn't it? A little bit. But at the same time, I suppose, then Pompey brought on Joe Piggott to try and 
get the three points, which was much needed, and it nearly worked out, didn't it? You know, ball breaks down. Don't know how Joe Rafferty had so much energy after defending for that amount of time, but breaks down the right and nearly causes a chance down there. And then obviously ball comes to the box, doesn't quite work out, but eventually it comes to Joe Piggott and, you know, it was a really nice pass first, wasn't it? To sort of set it up. It was a flat ball. Do you know who took that, Fred? I don't, unfortunately. But yeah. The, um... well, well, okay. Don't worry about that. But the flat ball comes in. It gets back to Joe Pigger. It's well worked. He puts his foot through it and it's a bit unlucky to end up just over the bar. Yeah. It wasn't like a clear cut chance or anything, but it was lovely technique by Piggott to almost curl it into the top corner. MK Don's had their own chances. Daniel Harvey had that sort of half volley blocked to the penalty area, which if it wasn't blocked, it looked as if it was going near the corner anyway. And it petered out to a fair result. Um, it didn't, it doesn't show that in the expected goals. Pompey only had 0.34 to MK's 1.13. MK having more chances, especially after Pompey's goal, for example, but it shows, it shows a lot in the breakdown between the shots, which is interesting. So from, it was literally from Conor Ogilvie's goal in the 14th minute, the next shot that Pompey had was Joe Piggott in the 93rd. And half of that is down to being down to 10 men, obviously, but half of it was down to the, putting it to the back five. Um, immediately going to try and defend that 1-0 lead and not offering anything else beforehand. I, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's giving up on holding the win and controlling the game because of the sending off. But I think better teams than Bobby in this division would have controlled that game a bit better and not just completely pat the pat the penalty area. You couldn't say that for most of the teams in the playoffs currently, I don't think. Yeah, I know it was later in the game, but do you remember when Shepherd Wednesday went down to 10 against us and it didn't really make that much difference? They sat a bit deeper attackingly, but they still managed to get the ball and knock it round, you know, and, and sort of play the timeout with ball in possession rather than just defending backs against the wall. And in the end, you're always going to capitulate, really, if that happens. But, oh, well, we'll move on with the point. Which then Let's go on to the Morecambe game. That point made the Morecambe game a must-win. It was a must-win. As we were saying, if, if you don't beat Morecambe at home, you're not good enough to be in the playoffs. And it was quite disappointing because you saw how we put a team out. You thought, okay, it's not looking too bad. You know, we, we still have three what you'd see as strong midfield players in the centre, even without Joe Morell playing. But it just didn't translate, did it? And when you even look at the underlying numbers, Fred, and I'm sure you'll have them, I had a little glance at them as well. Pompey didn't even do that very well in the Jules competitions, did they? Winning stuff. So it was a situation, really, where Pompey were just lacked anything going forward. And it can't just be on Colby Bishop to magic a goal from a half ass cross to come into the box. The wingers really have to just step up and create something. Yeah, absolutely. This game, it was almost like the, it, it was the first half against Forest Green perpetuated throughout the entire 90 minutes. It was fairly insipid, unfortunately. Um, you are right with the duels, Hugh. Um, obviously, a Derek Adams side liked to get stuck in properly. Morecambe were 70% of their defensive duels. Ports were only 50, 53%. Morecambe 46% on their offensive duels, so they weren't knocked off the ball very well. Ports of only 29%, so they were knocked off a lot, um, turning over the ball way too much. They were much better with the aerial duels with 62%. 
But given you had Robertson and Raggett in the in the centre halves, you do expect that to a certain degree. And Morecambe didn't offer that much going forward until right at the end. It was a very disappointing performances. Um, some of the individual play was very poor. Struggled to break down the side that set up at a low block again for countless times, which has happened this season and the season before that and the season before that. And basically since we started this pod, probably how many times we talked about a side coming to Fratton Park, sitting in a low block for a draw and Portsmouth not doing anything um, a lot. We talked about an auto a lot. There was a lack of drive in the wide areas and pace and some bravery to try and beat a fullback and then put in the cross. The wingers were cutting back on themselves so many times to try and play it to the midfielder on the edge of the box. It got very obvious and more compact the penalty area and just shut that out really. So switching the play wouldn't have created any gaps at all. Most of the chances were created from midfielders running into the half space with linking up with Colby Bishop with the through balls. Tom Larry did that twice and got two shots off. And the switches of play whenever he tried to go from the left to the right-hand side, weren't quick enough. And whenever it got back to the back four, it was slow and Pack had to drop back and try and instigate something. And then the movement off the ball wasn't very good. It was just a poor performance. It really was. And the atmosphere was shocking in that game, unfortunately. But again, hmm. it's a tough one where I think, oh, I hate saying that, oh yeah, the players have to give us something for an atmosphere because you know, it, it's Pompey. We're not, we're not an ordinary club, are we? We have fans that actually support their team properly. But the problem is Pompey fans have seen this sort of performance way too many times over six seasons in League One. And I'm sick of it. And, and other fans are probably sick of it as well. We'll go on to other bits in more detail. But yeah, shocking performance. Two points dropped. Morgan probably could have won the game, especially with that shot in the last minute-ish where... I can't remember who shot it. It was their striker who missed from about, I think it was, was it Jensen Weir? Oh no, it wasn't. It was Taylor who hit the ball over the bar from about six yards. And if they were more adventurous, they probably could have won that game. That's what, that, that's what makes me cross the most, to be honest. Yeah. And we said before the game and it was, it was completely right. Unfortunately, Dane Scarlett starting as a wide forward again. It just doesn't work. He's constantly drifting inside when he can. So you haven't got anyone out wide there, but he's not actually making any sort of penetrating runs through the middle either. It's not like he's joining as a second striker, really, in the centre and sort of driving through and splitting defences. He's just sort of stuck in this middle position between trying to be a winger and trying to be a forward. And it, it just completely didn't work. I don't think he had a successful cross in the game, which doesn't help when you've got Colby Bishop out there. He didn't really do much dribbling either in, the, in this game either. And it was just one of those performances where, quite rightly, the fans just wanted him off the pitch. When you stick Denver Hume behind him as well, I think I was pretty shitting myself. The fact that that was very defensively challenging, shall we say, partnership between the two of them. And although Denver Hume, for me, didn't necessarily look like he'd lit the world on fire, he was actually one of the better performers by the numbers. He actually made them, I think it was eight dual chat wins as well in the game. You know, he had three successful dribbles in that game as well. I mean, he looked out of position a fair amount down that side and a better team probably would have punished us. But that left-hand side, Freddie, give me your take on it. As a unit, it was poor. I thought Denver Hume individually had a solid enough game. But like you said, we know what Denver Hume is playing in the back four. He was out of position several times at left back because he wanted to drift forward slightly. We got caught out there several times. I'm sorry, Dane Scarlett's poor. 
He literally since that Peterborough game, I've seen no performances from him. I think he scored away from home once in the league. I'm trying to remember who it was against. I think it might be against Port Vale. But ever since he's been poor, and I know playing out of position as an inside forward is tricky and it's not his ideal, but he's not good enough to play ahead of Colby Bishop up front in League One. He's not. He's not physically capable. He'll get knocked off the ball by defenders. And I hate playing up to the stereotype, but it's another Premier League footballer who obviously has talent dropping down to League One, maybe thinking he's technically above everybody so he can do very well, especially after the start he had. And he's not lived up to it. He hasn't, quite simply. And I know he's playing out of position and it would probably be better for him if he was playing in a 4-4-2, probably next to Bishop. But we've seen that before as well in other games and he hasn't offered anything. And him storing out all the t- down the tunnel, it, it just seemed petulant to me. Yeah, it, incredibly poor. And he will. Put, I can see the technical ability in him where he will probably go on to do great things. But I don't, as a Pompey fan, I don't care about that. I care about the player right now. And it's a sort of the best loan signing is Matt Macy because his current performances are really good. And they're probably the best out of all the loan signings we've had, really. No, incredibly poor from Dane Scarlett, unfortunately. Denver Hume had a solid game. But we know he's not defensively responsible in the back four, unfortunately. He's a wing back. He could probably sign for another team in League One that focus on the back three. And I bet he'd probably do really well. It's just not a fit for me. And yeah, there are a lot of contributing factors to why Pompey were very good in this game. And Dane Scarlett's poor performances was one of them. Let's talk about the midfield three then without morale quickly. And we'll, we'll you know, use that to move on. And. It just doesn't seem to work for me when you've got Marlon Pack coming to collect the ball so deep because the centre-backs are so slow getting the ball forward. He's sort of sitting very deep. Turnercliffe seems to struggle when he hasn't got, you know, when he's in that position and pressing forward, when he's got another player who hasn't got much pace about him. So when you have him and Pack in the same team, for me, it doesn't seem to work very well. For me, this was a game where it was slow and insipid because we couldn't get the ball through midfield quick enough. The only player who came out of it with any sort of credit in some ways was Lowry just for breaking through the lines a couple of times. And, you know, the ball comes through. I think Colby Bishop created the most chances for players in this game with three. And it ends up going through on goal. And you think, go on, Tom. The only thing I want to say about this is, and this is maybe where you've got a more cultured player, you know, who's, who strikes the ball and, he sort of hits it with quite a lot of pace. And maybe if you just take a little bit of pace off the ball, that you can just sort of roll that into the corner a little bit easier. But fair play for making the runs. We always talk about the fact that we don't have enough midfielders making breaking runs. But at the same time, you could have won that game 2-0 and it would have been out of sight. But unfortunately, neither one went in. Lara's shot was the biggest chance in this game with 0.3 expected goals. It was the one where Bishop touched it round. Again, Lowry, brilliant run into the half space. But yeah, just puts his foot through it, drags it wide, unfortunately. Obviously, I, I, I value Lowry's contribution in the midfield, facilitating other chances. If he gets in the penalty area, fair enough if he scores, but he's, he's not, you know, he's not the player you would automatically want shooting from there. It was a shame about the finish. Unlucky, really. I think aside from that, the, I don't know what it is. Even on the right-hand side, the wingers didn't offer anything. And that goes for Hackett and Dale. Neither of them offered anything, really. Both of them were obsessed with cutting back on themselves to, to almost pass around the midfield to try and get around the penalty area. The crossing from both of them wasn't very good. 
and both of them seemed very one-footed and struggled to create a clear-cut chance. And that's, we'll go on to listener questions in a minute, but it seems that I think a lot of fans will say the areas to improve in this side, first and foremost, are left wing and right wing. Because next season, who have you got as a winger? Paddy Lane? And that's it. If you're, if you're not, if you're not re-signing Curtis to like a one year show me deal, you're just going to have Paddy Lane on the right side. No, we need aggressive wingers to help out Colby. If we are playing the 4-3-3 or even a 4-2-3-1, you could probably get away with one of them being like an inside forward as well, presumably, but they have to have that drive, that dribbling ability, that pace about them and the quality at the end at the moment. We just don't have that. And it showed in this game. You don't want to hop back onto the past, do you? But when you see back in the day when we had sort of the likes of Lowe and Curtis, etc., both players wanted to take the man on to go round him or shoot. And at the moment, none of our wingers ever want to see step in and, and shoot the ball. Maybe Rico does, but he finds it hard to get himself into into positions where he can do that when he's out wide, which makes him quite ineffectual. I know in this game he had a shot as well, went on target. Right near the death, that was all right. Yeah, it, it was the header, and he forced a very good save out of Connor Ripley, actually. Um, yeah. And it's funny because whenever Rico Hackett's actually around the box, inside the box, and in the centre, I think he's quite good. He's got very good close control, which which I think most most fans noticed. He's, his ability to get himself out of trouble in the close gaps around two players when they press him is very good. And he always seems to pop up right in the right place in the penalty area. And here, pops up in the right place in the header and it's quite unlucky with Ripley making the proper save. And then Ripley also saved the Joe Pigger header afterwards. I don't know what it is. Is Are we farming out Hacker on the wing when we could make use of him either in the 10 if we play that or even as a striker option? Because for me, he has a, he has a good finish on him when he gets into the positions. His crossing isn't brilliant. I know he's quite one-footed as well, so it slows things down in the wide areas. But if you're in the centre of the pitch and you focus on the close control, you're playing to strengths more, aren't you? Yeah, and I think we've been saying this for a while, that he's he makes the best contribution when he's playing down the middle. We saw it when he came on against Oxford at home and he, he just sort of, you know, we were sort of getting outrun in the centre, I believe, and he sort of comes in and changes the game by ending up getting one of their players sent off, I believe, in that game, thinking back on it. Again, with some close control, beats a player... And really, when he came to us, he was seen as a sort of a cam, a false nine, a player who plays off a striker. And it's quite obvious to me that when you stick him out wide, he gets a bit lost out there. He doesn't quite know what to do. He's not really a winger in the sense he he tries, but doesn't really track back if you played him in a 4-4-2. So he's a little bit of a liability defensively in that system. So, yeah, I mean, for me, he's not a bad option to bring off the bench when you're chasing a game in this situation if you end up playing him a bit more centrally, because you can maybe provide a chance where he forces the keeper to make a save. Then there's a rebound shot and you, and maybe someone else picks it up and goes. But for me, I mean, Owen Dale in this game was, was pretty terrible. I know people have been sharing that clip of him breaking forward on the break, on the counter. And instead of cutting inside, maybe and having a shot or, or laying it through to three players in the box, he does what he always does and he cuts back, cuts back and he ends up dribbling the ball out for a Morecambe throw in. And I just sort of feel that we've tried to defend him. We tried to sort of back him, give him a bit of time. Maybe he'll, he'll come good. But for me, that just sort of summed up his second half of the season. Yeah, it's been very poor, unfortunately. Um, 
we even said as much, we were quite excited for to sign him. Um, seemed like the perfect fit. But in the end, he just doesn't have the aggression in the end product, really, which is a shame. You can say what you like about Ronan Curtis, but he, if he was in that position, he would be diving into the penalty area, cutting side on his strong foot. Absolutely. 100% he'd be doing that. And it's at the very least that play shows a player with no confidence whatsoever if he wanted to cut back on himself and end up dribbling out for a throw. Yeah, poor. And I don't think he's going to be re-signed either. I think that, that, I think that ship sailed, unfortunately. I think especially with potentially Blackpool coming down, I think they'll just keep him and play him in their squad if that's the case. Um, yeah, I think that he's going to go back to Blackpool and if they stay up, they'll, they'll loan him out again. And if not, they'll bring him back into the squad. I was talking to Tom, I know from the Up the Mighty Pool podcast about him and his perception is that they're going to keep him next season and see how he does. So yeah, I think he's going to go back to Blackpool and uh, good luck to him, I suppose. Anything else to talk about the Morecambe game or should we get into the listener question? I think that's all of it from the Morecambe game. I know Pompey's crossing percentage is 25%, which is below their 33.7 league average, which matches what we saw, really. The crossing was pretty poor. Overall, Portsmouth had better than expected goals with 1.18 compared to 0.88 from Morecambe. Again, if Morecambe had actually a better manager uh, other than Derek Adams, they might have actually got something out of that game and maybe been a bit more positive, despite time wasted with half an hour left when Pompey looked there for the taking, unfortunately. But now, another two points dropped. Pompey's running now looks quite bleak. And at the very minimum, they probably have to win all of their remaining games at minimum. And it's not even in their hands either. So, yeah. Well, n- not a lot of positivity from that game, unfortunately. No. Although some positivity, I didn't tell you before you started recording, but our Derby tickets have arrived, by the way. Way. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're still going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but, exactly. much, much to the chagrin of Rob, who after ages, finally goes to a Pompey game, bins off AFC Porchester, goes to the Pompey game, we perform like that, and then immediately says, I'm not going to be away. It's poor form, really. Yeah, exactly. Come on, Rob. He's literally the only fan, I can say, who's a glory fan when it comes to being a Portsmouth fan there. But he, he sniffed maybe a little bit of a hope of the playoffs, and suddenly he's all in again, and you know, they'll no draw against Morecambe, and... That's him done for the season. Doesn't care about going away with me and you, mate, for the away day. It's just too much hassle for him with a, a Pompey playing derby. All right, let's just get to the news bit first. Fred, do you want to take us away? What's going on? Yeah, there are a few bits and bobs recently. Andrew Cullen came out and said he wants more pitches and improved facilities at their Hillsy tra- Pompey's Hillsy training ground. The site was obviously bought for three million quid in June 2021. So they focused on overhauling the gym and the main building by upgrading facilities in there. They want to move the players up to the top floor, make the new offices, rooms, and the private gym, remove the portal porter cabins, and then in place, they're going to put two pitches on there, one full-size one, one three-quarter-size one. Uh, Cullen said a lot of work has been done already overhauling the building, and for reference, the facility currently has three full-size pitches, a smaller academy pitch, and a half-size pitch. He didn't give a proper time length on it or like a valuation or anything. He he just said the project will take, will go forwards as over the next few years. So there's no like time frame of when this will be done. There's a, it, it's just, it seems like the vision really rather than, it seems like the plan and the vision rather than 
putting shovels in the ground and everything. Is that enough to have some sort of half-baked vision which will be done at some point and for me still doesn't allow us to move towards what needs to be done, having a development squad alongside having you know a training base in that sense where we can actually keep the academy, the development squad and the main team all together and having a cat B academy. And you look at teams like Plymouth at the moment who are building a development centre as such to enable this to happen and to enable them to go to cat B. And it's just another team, isn't it? I know they're not right next to us, but it's another team on the South Coast who effectively are doing the right thing. If they'd come out and said, look, this is what we're doing so that we can enable us to move towards being a cat B academy or develop a development squad or something exciting, then maybe I would, you know, react to this news more positively, but we're going to add a one and a half pitches and knock down some porter cabins and move the players around for me just isn't enough. No, I don't think it's enough either. Um, they mentioned they're obviously not going after the, that Drayton. I think, I believe it was like the Farlington land. You, you might know this a bit better, basically because of like environmental concerns, apparently the bit of previous attempt to build on there. It was turned down for environmental concerns and the club are worried that obviously if they go ahead with everything and then it's turned down for the same reason, they've wasted their time, which is fair enough. So they're looking for more spots to potentially move into. I think it's the lack of detail of this, which is a bit strange. Uh, um, There are some more bits in the Neil Allen article, which you can read. It'll be on his Twitter and stuff. But yeah, it, it... I don't want to say it's completely a waste of time because it isn't. It's progress, but it's not. It, the problem is it's not keeping line with other clubs, is it? And like you mentioned with Plymouth, they are a, a team which we should be not trying to replicate, but they're of a similar level, probably similar finances or lower. And they've built a better squad on the pitch and they're pushing to a Cat B Academy quicker than Port so far. And that's another club and another destination which are going past them. And it seems a bit slow to a lot of people, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And with Plymouth's like, look on analytics, the way they recruit, it all just seems a lot more modern setup and having a better vision of how they want to progress as a team, you know, both on and off the pitch. So I'd just like to know a bit more about what we're going to do to do that. How are we going to get to that stage? And if it's a situation where we're not going to, which, you know, the discussions me and you had talking to Eric Eisner about, you know, a development squad or about moving to a Cat B Academy. I think he agreed that it'd been sort of, what's the word to get this out properly? Forgotten a bit, I suppose, the Academy. I think not prioritised is the right way yeah. to put it. Um, because obviously in their minds, it makes better financial sense for them to do this when they're in the championship, when they have a larger revenue share from the league they have the tv money they'll have the larger attendances filling fratton park for a full season and on the one hand that is useful but the problem is it's not keeping pace with other clubs and you could argue that some clubs well not plymouth in this case but some clubs might be doing it with money they don't have well tough luck <laughs> on that front other clubs will over will prioritize that those areas and it was obviously mentioned that they want to try and go to like a player trading model, which is fancy for just saying, oh, we want to make money from transfers. Well, the best ways you do that is to have very good academy players 
because relatively it shows up in the accounts that obviously their transfer value isn't anything. And if you sell them for a, a big payday, then yeah, that's, that's brill, isn't it? I don't, I, I, obviously it, it's very easy to get into the weeds when we talk about facilities being built. And obviously we appreciate a lot of, that has been done already to Fram Park and to the facilities here, but they're not keeping pace, are they? I think that's the main issue. Yeah. I think that's my main issue, my main issue. And it's not like I want to come down with a hammer on anything, but I am particularly passionate about this topic. And I do think it should be something that we should be putting more emphasis in and giving more clear vision. All right. What's the next topic, Fred, on the news? Yeah. Uh, the final thing to say on that, it, it, it pulls of a talking about being a sustainable club over and over again. And sustainable clubs have strong academies. They do. Because obviously nothing is more sustainable than growing your own talent rather than buying it from everywhere. It's all well and good picking the crumbs from Premier League players, um, especially young players who have maybe missed the boat, and that's fair enough. But so many other teams are competing at that level. Why not build a philosophy long-term, especially with new players and tactics and so on? And then you can go from there. But anyway, that's our two cents on that. Ian McInnes caused a bit of a stir. Obviously, he was doing the media rounds because of the 10-year anniversary of the Bulls Sports Trust saving the club. Made me think, actually, of when I was staring at the television, thinking Pompey would go bust. That was a horrible thing, and I don't want to go through that again. He interviewed with Andrew Moon, and he said that Pompey would be in the championship if Paul Cook stayed on at Pompey when the club obviously got into League One. There was that bit of umming and ahhing with whether the new owners wanted Paul Cook Obviously, took on Kenny Kenny Jacket, and we knew how well that went. It seems a bit silly to bring this up because obviously this happened years ago now, and it's fine to bring up what ifs and so on. But it is a relevant point. So, given the first two years of Pompey in League One under Paul Cook, if he stayed, he probably with the brand of football and and the players we had, it he probably would have done better matchups in the playoffs. At any right? Yeah, I think he probably would have done. But I've, maybe I'm completely off on this, but my memory was that Cookie basically banged on about loyalty from the players, etc. when we got promoted, but then eventually just took the Wigan job himself. So he sort of chose to leave. Now you could, you could turn around and say that's because the club didn't show any sort of backing for him or, or, you know, or give him the, the nod and, you know, fully back him as a manager. Maybe they had eyes elsewhere. You know, let's look at Watford going through manager churn and Rob Edwards, who's now doing, really well at Luton and probably if they didn't get rid of him would also be doing a lot better at Watford. So maybe it's that. Maybe I should give Cook a break on that situation. But I think there's also a case that he wanted to go for a team who had more money, right? Well, yeah, exactly. And better players. And it showed that as soon as Paul Cook went to Wigan, Wigan romped the league with... uh, And then, yeah, made, made it look relatively simple, didn't it, in the end? Especially with the amount of money they had at the time. And he also survived with them for a few seasons in the championship as well before he, got, before he went to the Ipswich job. And then his his stock completely shattered after that. Um, basically did a League One version of what Chelsea are doing, buying so many attacking midfielders and then not really knowing what to do with them all. But yeah, it was just something that came up, something that caused a bit of a stir really. But hey, Paul managing in the, in the National League now. So we, we can move on from that and look at matters a bit more present. Uh, the only last bit of any real note is uh, Jay Mingi. He's apparently been sidelined again with another injury he picked up in training last Thursday, according to Neil Allen. Obviously, Mingi's been hitting the headlines a bit recently because obviously he's out of contract. 
John Messino said he wants to see more of him on the pitch before making a decision, preferably on whether to extend him. He's only played, seen him play once in the 5-2 defeat against Bournemouth in the Hampshire Cup, which was, I know it's a friendly, but performance was terrible. And one stat that Neil wrote, Mingi has only played apparently, and I think this is probably competitive football, but I'll double check this, 16 minutes of football in the last four months. And we were speaking off air, weren't we, Hugh, of obviously we're trying to speculate of why all these injuries are happening and there could be so many factors, but it's getting insane, isn't it? Uh, like this season for injuries, especially, has been horrendous. If you if you take it back to last season, it was also bad for injuries. Where do you think this is coming from? And then the larger question is: John Massinho right to wait on Jay Mingy to see how he does and see him play firsthand, or should he effectively pass the buck onto Richard Hughes whether to extend him or not? I think Richard Hughes will make the decision when it comes down to it, and I think it will come down to what options are out there and how he manages the budget, which I think is sort of the right way to look at it. It's frustrating because Jay Mingy is obviously a talented young midfielder, but still hasn't got that much experience playing at the level. If they think he's too injury prone as a player and it's a player issue, I've got no worries about not re-signing him because we don't need any more players who are going to you know, only play a handful of games or, or be out quite a lot. However, if it's the reason that the club's medical staff aren't great, or if the pitches are causing injuries because it's not just Jay Mingy, or whatever that is, then maybe you keep the talented player if you can agree a lowish salary. I don't see him going somewhere else and getting paid heavily. So it'll just be interesting to see how this has played out, really. And the club know these details. They know why, you know, there's more medical issues. They'll know if it's a training pitch or a training regime or whatever it is. And to be honest, it'd be nice to hear them come out and discuss that and say how next season they're going to approach it. So it's different to the last two years. We'll never get that, unfortunately, because we know Pompey, they lock up most discussions with uh, a lock and key, which does have its benefits in some scenarios. If you harken back to Pompey wanting Richard Hughes ages ago, basically, the the murmurings of them going after him were leaked beforehand. Forest Green chairman found out before Pompey made an official bid, complained, and that arguably delayed that process. But there's obviously a balance to be had when there are obviously issues. You could call them issues on and off the pitch. Now, obviously, when we say issues, we don't mean, how can I put this? Obviously, Portsmouth aren't completely in the weeds financially or on the pitch. They're not, they're not, battling relegation and they're not financially irregular either but they are concerns and the and the fans should know more about them and and good clubs nowadays are open and and discuss what they feel like they can don't they and they don't lock a lock it lock up everything and allow the negativity to fester because us two, we have no idea what, what's causing all these injuries. We have absolutely no idea. We can think of a few reasons, but we have no concrete evidence whatsoever, do we? And we probably never will. So if that speculation carries on, then it could lead to fan apathy, which is what happened before. And then, yeah, I, I think that I think the communication still does need to be better for Pompey. It just does. We we might be slightly biased because we used to do a fan podcast. It'd be nice to have more, have more not necessarily access, but more, you know, more details on certain things, be allowed to interview people, for example. But yeah, um, 
we'll never know with the injury front. But I think I don't know Jamie's wages, obviously, but relatively he's probably on a low wage compared to the other players, especially since well, this was his first proper cracker first team football with Pompey as well. So pay raise relatively considering the whole budget probably isn't large. So I don't see why you wouldn't at least try and re-sign him. I don't see what letting him go on a free would do. And that gives depth to the midfield, which we should have, even if you're playing in a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. Uh, I think signing Mingi is up there on one of the priorities, I think. We put a question out to you guys and we said, Pompey's two points from the last two games have put serious doubts in their playoff push. Let's be honest, say the least. What positions do the team need to strengthen most in the summer? Thanks to everyone who messaged in again. It really makes a show. So let's get started. Lewis messaged in says, I actually don't think we're as far away as people think and don't agree we need to gut the whole squad. However, what we do really need is perhaps the hardest thing to find in League One, a few creative, pacey, attacking wingers. Fred, do you think that's the hardest position to fill in League One to get started? Uh, I think wingers with consistent quality, yes. Let's think back to Marcus Harness, for example, who's played on the wing and at Cam. A very creative player. We know what his quality was whenever he saw him, but he would go through spurts. He would go through spurts where he was banging in goals and setting up clear-cut chances for about five or six games, and then would have five or six games where he was a non-factor. That is the case for most attacking players in League One because it's the third tier of English football. If they were more consistent, they'd be at a high level, wouldn't they? So from that point of view, it is one of the hardest positions to recruit because obviously consistent strikers and consistent attacking players. We have arguably the hardest bit. We have a striker who can score all sorts of goals. We just need people to ride in the proper service, which is good. And yeah, that, like uh, the listener said, that is the priority for next season because we have Paddy Lane as our only main winger, probably. So we need a right winger and two left wingers because I think, I don't think I I wouldn't treat Hackett as a winger. I don't think it fits. And if you're not going to play him in the middle, you may as well move him on and look for somebody else. So that leaves even less depth there. As an example, there are other positions as well. And that's the case. If we make the playoffs and get promoted as well, Uh, this isn't just a case of being negative and saying, Oh, we, we dropped those points against MK Dons and Morecambe. We're in League One now. We need to cut the whole squad. No, no, no. Even if we go on a run and get promoted, we still need to make those changes in the first place. So that's why we put the question out there properly. Tim Foot meshed in and says, I think getting us back into the playoff conversation at all was an achievement. But clearly it's frustrating to seemingly throw away that all away. We have some solid areas and some areas that need work too. I particularly like to keep Macy and add attacking threats in wide positions. So let's talk about Macy. He's generally looked pretty good since he's come in because we were a few doubts, didn't we? You know, previous clubs telling us, you know, sending us gifts with holes through gloves and that kind of malarkey. But actually, in the whole, he's performed pretty well. And I think the defence has reacted well to him being in goal as well. You know, the last couple of games, he's had a few where he's rushed out and maybe he should have stayed in goal or whatever. But overall, his commanding of the box is fairly decent. His shot stopping's been fine. And I'd be quite happy going into a season with him. I don't know about you. I wouldn't mind it at all. It would give some good continuity as well, especially if Pompey are looking to sign some more players. It would help from a financial point of view as well, because if Luton get promoted, they 
probably won't want to keep Matt Macy. They have a lot of goalkeepers on the books. They might not want it. They might want a new first choice goalkeeper, let alone, you know, shuffling around. So from a financial point of view, it looks likely that it could get done if Macy wanted to. There are probably other options out there. Obviously, being biased, I would have wanted big save Craig back at the club. And whatever I've seen for Burton, he's making very, very good saves and I miss him. But hey, if we sign Macy, I wouldn't consider that a bad signing at all. I'd, I'd say that's very solid. His distribution can be a bit slow at times, especially with his kicks. But I don't think it's completely bad. I think it's better than Josh Griffiths' distribution. I'll, t- I'll tell you that much. But yeah, if they sign Matt Macy, I wouldn't have any, any qualms at all. I think it would be fairly solid. Might be interesting to see if Rich Hughes decides that under Messinio, we want to play a more sort of fluid, playing the ball out from the back system in which the goalkeeper has to get the ball out of his feet quicker. In which case, they may look for another option, I suppose. But overall, I think it'd be quite a solid signing. Dean Preston messaged in. He says, ball playing centre-back is the most is a must. Unless Pack drops into defence. We're crying out for a creative goal-scoring attacking midfielders, especially when our left-back is our second top scorer. Yeah. I mean, Conor Ogilvy's hardly a goal machine, is he? And let's be honest. And he, he's chipped in this season. He's got five goals, I believe. And that's decent for your left-back. Don't get me wrong. But that can't be uh, your main focus. But... What's interesting for me in this reply, Fred, is the idea of playing Marlon Pack at centre back. Do you think that's a that's a viable option? Uh, I don't really. I think he. Uh, I think it takes away too much of his qualities, to be honest, to play him at centre half. I don't think he'd want to play at centre half either. He's a proper cultured midfielder, and I know he's an an- he's more like an anchoring midfielder nowadays who can win the tackles, make those progressive passes. I think in, at centre back you're wasting him. I think. Yeah, a ball-playing centre-half is a must. And I know that Sean Raggett was player of the season last season and he's had some solid games this season. But we've seen it before, haven't we? We've seen the ricks. We've seen the limitations. And if Bortz wants to be a championship club, they will have to replace Sean Raggett at that level anyway. So you may as well try and build a partnership of ball-playing centre-halves now rather than try and force it later on. So a a ball-playing right-sided centre-half is a must and some depth in that position as well. I don't think I'd personally renew Clark Robertson, really, with his injury record. Again, solid performances, but he hasn't shown enough for me. It says a lot that, looking at just the list on BBC Sport for the top goal scorers, I believe this is all comps. Cole Bishop up there, 23, and then it's four players joint on five, with Joe Pig on five, Ronan Curtis on five, Rico Hackett on five, and Conor Ogilvy on five. Obviously, with a lack of depth at goal scoring, no, no, your club's not getting promoted with that. It reminded me of the first Pompey season where we had Brett Pittman score like 25 and then nobody else chipped in, really. It shows how much the club has moved in six years. But then again, I'll leave my cynicism at the door. But no, I don't think moving pack at centre-half is the option. I think we just need to sign better defenders in the summer. MTPFC meshes in and says, You can sum our season up by watching Owen Dale break away three against two, check back and then dribble the ball out. That's that's our 22-23 season DVD. I mean, you can say that that sort of sums up, I suppose, how our wingers have been. And I think we spoke about that earlier on, actually, whilst analysing the game. So, But not wrong necessarily there. Strong English messed in and says, lads, two points is dreadful. Should have been four minimum. But even that would not be good enough for a playoff push, inverted commas. I feel like going in circles, but we need a good recruitment this summer. We've really lacked creative players. 
Freddie, do you have a bit more confidence? I do in some ways going into this season. I know we can be a bit positive, but Rich Hughes is a, you know, I'm hoping he has a bit of a reputation here to come in and try and find players who can maybe unlock teams. Cause that's what we desperately need out front, isn't it? A player who can unlock teams, make runs and take shots at on goal, really. And actually, well, contribute towards the goal scoring. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it says a lot really that, well, arguably the best signing in January, Riley Towler was made before John Massino had even turned up at the club. So that gives us some sort of reassurance that of the sort of players that Richard Hughes had won. So he wanted the blend of experience and youth, but also the right fit for the positions. And I think Riley Talder's unlucky not to be starting still every week, but I don't get yeah. it either. But yeah, it, long, long-term thinking. We, we know he's first choice at left-sided centre-half. We know that's already. So yeah, that gives us some more positives looking into the summer. But then again, it's another summer overhaul again. And I don't know if that's just because we're in the one, for example, but I am, I'm slightly sick of it that we don't have very much continuation season on season. We have some, we have a spine, I think. I think in midfield, we're lucky to have the players we have and depth. And if there's a a continuous run of games for most of the season where they're all fit and they're all playing, I think Bobby will do all right. If they have explosive wingers, if they have a bit more depth at left back, and if they have some centre halves that can play the ball out and a solid keeper. I don't think Poppy would go far wrong. With the midfield, you might want a more aggressive midfielder who could play either further back in a 4-3-3 or at Cam in a 4-2-3-1 in a pinch. I think that helps if Morel or Lowry aren't playing because I think a midfielder like Tony Cliff, I still would re-sign him purely because he's a solid depth player and he's improved an awful lot at the back end of the season. But he's the sort of midfielder that needs... Morel and Lowry next to him or Morel and Mingi next to him or Lowry and Mingi next to him, him and Pack and him and Thompson. There's not enough drive there in the midfield. It's a bit, it's a bit too safe. Maybe a player like Tommy Lee, for example, who's Atkinson's top goal scorer according to football reference. Seems to fit the bill to me. And I know it can be quite lazy to go back to him, obviously because he's born and raised in the area, obviously, but can I just jump in and say that's not happening? I, I sat next to the ports of scouts watching Tommy Lee play when we went down to watch Bogner play and look at the Pompey players at the time. And they didn't rate him at all. They just did not rate him. It was quite clear that he was the man going forward that was like their, their literal talisman. Obviously, he was let go originally by the club and they had absolutely no interest in signing him. Which really, for me... I will say one thing, though. Does it matter if the scouts aren't interested or if Richard Hughes is interested? If Hughes is interested in a player, you could... uh, uh, And pitching it with Massino and the other coaches, I think if they want a player, they just go for him anyway. So uh, analytically, he's showing up this season as one of Atkinson's better players. And yes, I know Atkinson are in the relegation zone and the argument could be made that saying, oh, why are you buying players from a relegation side for... I mean, we bought Tom Lowry from Crew on a free, and he's one of our better players. So, so there we are. It, it's all about the player rather than the situation, eh? And and we've proven from signing Colby Bishop as well. You bring a player with obvious qualities into a team with better players around him, they can flourish in this league. It's fairly obvious. But uh, but that's just a, a name mooted, I think. Seth Metzen says minimum two wingers on each side. 
a left back and keep Macy. To be honest, we need depth all over the squad as what's really killed our playoff hopes this year was injuries during that 15 game streak with no wins. Do you think that streak was just down to injuries? I mean, there were quite a few injuries, so you could look at the squad depth, but I also felt that unfortunately for Danny Cowley, it, the message just really wasn't getting through, was it? And we seemed to lack a defined style of play that the players could sort of muck into and, and generate chances from it. So can we put it all down to injuries? I mean, it was, we, we it, do, was a, we, it was a major part, wasn't it? But there are so many factors into that one win in 15 stretch, which led to both Cowleys being sacked. It is true, though, and obviously it's quite unlucky. At one point, remember, if we had all our right-backs injured and we had we were playing our fifth and sixth-choice centre midfielders, that's not ideal for any team in any division, um, really, because, well, how many how many midfielders can you hoard that are proper first-team quality and then you're trying to pitch to them to sign? He said, oh, your fifth, is, your fifth or sixth-choice. Uh, that's not that's not going to go well, is it? And it's not realistic either. There are squad depth issues, and there always has been. And it's obviously unlucky when, for example, you you, you lose Rafferty and Swanson, who are your number one two punch at right back as well. But it showed in the Morgan game that our depth that we had wasn't good enough and didn't impact the game. Pickett came on, I know loan signing, but didn't impact the game. Hacker came on, didn't impact the game either. Hume came in was fairly average, but didn't flourish at left-back spot. It shows that we don't have very much there. So, And obviously, with the lone players going back, you again have to look at that market and obviously other players coming in again. So focusing on squad depth, you kind of had to. And if they want to go down the player training model, they need young players with a bit of potential who are in maybe the Jay Mingy stage of their career or the Zach Swanson stage of their career, where if you play them every week, you probably burn them out. But if you don't play them at all, then they won't reach their potential in the first place and they need that balance, don't they? Almost sounds like you need some players to come through your development squad and pad it out, doesn't it? That drum is going to be beat. That drum's going to be beaten until the skin's got holes in it, isn't it? I'm going to be there. Barney messaged in and said, you definitely used that picture on purpose, which was on, the, I used the picture of Owen Dale to, for the post, but. It seemed topical, so you're not wrong, mate. <laughs> the squad isn't far off at all. We just need some wingers on both sides and a few quality depth, op- depth options in attack and defence to ensure we have cover for injuries and suspensions. I mean, we need defensive cover, we need winger cover, and we need striker cover. I think that's still quite a lot, isn't it, there, you know, to develop this team. And it is fair to say we have some good pieces. And I think in that sense, you can build around those good pieces. But generally speaking, we're lacking a lot of quality players, game breakers, both at the back and going forward. It's okay having good players, but you need to add a bit more talent. And when you look at players like Colby Bishop, he's talented at this level. Now, can we hold on to him this season? Not going up? Oh, God, don't talk about that now. (laughs) That's a conversation for another day. I was saying this to Dad over the phone, and what, what a bleak universe that is, thinking that... Oh, what if a championship comes, a team comes in and bids two and a half million for Colby Bishop? What do you do? Somebody is going to come in and bid some money for him. I, I do think they will. You know, Blackpool aren't the greatest example, but they were interested in, you know, bringing him in as well rather than us. And I think some better championship teams will come in who don't go up or who, who are in the middle of the league or someone like that. 
and take a punt on him for what will be a relatively, for them, cheap cost, even for a couple of million, for a player who scored a lot of goals this season and hasn't had a lot of service. So we'll keep an eye on that. But yeah, I don't want to dwell on it too much right now because we're only in April and this is going to drag on for the whole summer. So capture with Sam messages in and says, goalkeeper, two centre-backs, one centre-midfielder, three or four wingers, possibly a cam and a striker. Another squad overhaul with loan players and returning out of contract players who I wouldn't be disappointed to see them all leave. Only loan players are keep a Piggott and Macy. We're not going to keep Piggott, are we? I mean, no. Ipswich will probably be ready to get rid of him, but I, I just, it doesn't quite fit what we want to do, does he? He's not fit the one up front really very well. I mean, you could play him in cam, I suppose, but at the moment, I, I would actually rather get a natural cam if we went to a 4 2 3 1. This has been something we've missed, isn't it? I mean, Jacobs can play there, but he's never fit. So that doesn't really work when you're building a squad around him. He's sort of a luxury player who you have around the squad. We do need two centre-backs. Do we need another central midfielder? I would it, argue probably it, not, it but it was if, mentioned. It depends if you renew Tonicliffe, because if you renew Tonicliffe and Mingi, then you have six, and that's for the four three three, two positions at each spot. And if you renew Thompson, Lou Thompson as well. You probably want a more creative player in there to keep balance, but it depends really if uh, if Massinho likes those options that he already has or he thinks he, or if he thinks he could do better. Massinho is most messaged and says, only see Ogilvy and maybe possibly Curtis getting offers and accepting them. I think every position needs at least one addition except right back, which I said is our strongest position. Still believe that. Even though I could see us cashing in on Swanson, his potential gives his ongoing injury issues this season. That seems hard to diagnose and resolve. That's got to be up to the club and see if they can resolve that. But I, I think they'll keep him around, to be honest. He's, he's done enough this season, looked, you know, absolute quality. And I don't think someone's going to come in and blow the doors off to pick him up or money. You know, when we pay the fee. So Arsenal, I just don't, I don't see that happening. But you know, could be wrong. Curtis is an interesting one, Freddie. It's difficult, isn't it? He's out till Christmas. I can't see another club coming in for that reason and giving him a contract and then paying his rehab all the way through. I kind of feel that the club will offer him a deal now with his injury as a sort of he's been a good servant to the club and they feel bad letting him go. That's just my hunch. But do you reckon he will resign? I mean, if the offer's on the table, he'd probably take it, wouldn't he? I mean, he wouldn't want to uproot his family, his young family, uh, while he's injured, half a season especially. It depends. If, if, for example, Pompey offer him a one-year, what's called in the States, a show-me deal, where, where for the second half of the season, you show what you have, and then you could possibly get an extension, maybe a club, maybe you could put a club option in there where it's a one-year deal with an option of another year. You could do that. But yeah, I think the club will do that. Uh, but I can see the arguments on the both sides. Why put the budget for a player who's going to be injured half the season? That's valid. And he's probably one of the highest earners considering he's been at the club for a long time. So yeah, that argument's going to rumble on into the summer. Yeah, for me, it's just basically an ethical question as well as uh, do you think, okay, we can use this money and spend it better? See you later, Ronan. Maybe we'll help you pay your rehab anyway, just to be nice. Because the club is investing money, sending him to a, a pretty good doctor and all this kind of stuff at the moment. So we'll have to see on that one. Alfie John meshes in and says, left wing, left back, a right centre back. We need a left winger to replace Dale and Hackett, who both both 
ain't good enough. We need a new left back as well. Ogilvy really hasn't been good enough this season. And we need a centre-back partner for Towler next season who's good this feet. Completely agree on the Towler point. Let's get someone in who can actually, with a bit of pace as well, who can bring the ball out into midfield, draw draw you know, draw a, a, an attacker, create some space ahead of us, and then that allows the midfield to push forward, especially with the three. Left winger, left back. What do you think about the Ogilvy discussion? Because he's always been, isn't he, for the first half of this season especially, Mr. Reliable, the 7 or 8 out of 10 consistently. Ever since he's gone to right back and back to left back, he's not quite been the same player, is he? Yeah, Connor Ogilvy, tough one. I don't think he's performed as well as I'd expect him to this season. I don't think he's been I don't think he's been poor for large stretches. He's just had games where he hasn't been as defensively responsible as I thought he would be. It's nice that he's cropping up with goals. Um I don't think he's as, for example, as offensively going forward as an as Lee Brown, for example. Uh I think Colorado will be off as a fair bit, but I still would like another option at left back alongside him a more aggressive left back in a Joe Rafferty mould who can play in a back four. I think that's desperately needed, really. Yeah. And when you see the the Swanson-Rafferty one-two punch on that side, Swanson also provides a bit more going forward, didn't he? You know, in a time where we were really lacking some creativity, he was beating people, putting balls in the box, you know, a couple of goals, but also looked a threat from that side. You know, he's not going to happen, but you know, when you looked at someone like, even like Barley Mumba play for Plymouth or whatever, you just think we could do with someone with a bit of pace who attacks people, who gives an option more around the back of the wingers, especially if you're going to sign a winger who's maybe a bit more attack minded. You just need to give them some more support. And I think it's a bit of a reason why you see we're so lopsided. Bradley Hyde messages in and says he sent in a nice picture as well. He used he's the, one of those standard football apps where you can write it out. And he said, release Robertson, Freeman, Turnicliffe, Curtis, Jacobs, Reed, Sell, Hume, Hackett, Youth Develop, Stuart, Minoga, Vincent, Stuart White, Bridgman, Gifford. We need a starting goalkeeper, right centre back, left back, right wing and left wing. Need a backup, left centre-back, Cam, left winger. What I'll do is I'll quickly read it out. He's put in goal, question mark for start, and then keep Holloway Amy. We spoke about that already a little bit. Right back, sorted, Rafferty and Swanson. He's then got Towler, and then a question mark, who to back him up. He's then got question mark and Raggett to back him up. Do you think... I sort of think you've got to take the toys away sometimes from the management. I don't know if that's a fair thing to say, but I think with Sean Raggett, you've got to move on from him or he ends up playing and it slows everything down again. Ogilvy at back up left back. Now, Ogilvy has got a one-year option from the club, so the club could just take that option up. I think, that obviously, that comes with a pay rise. I think some of the listeners wrote that in the comments as well in the, in the discussion with Messinio's Moose. So we have seen that before, haven't we, where the club's had an option and then not taking it up due to pay rise. but Hopefully they take they take it up, even if you want to sell him. Alan Marcus Harness. Pack and Thompson, Morell and Mingy, Lowry and Question Mark. Again, he thinks that we discuss whether Tony Cliff stays or not. I don't have strong feelings on this topic. I think if you can find someone you think's better, I'm happy for that. But again, I'm not too fussed. And then on the left wing, he's got question mark, question mark. 
Lane on the right, question mark, who starts, so Lane back up, Bishop, question mark. Do you agree there, roughly? Oh, that's a pretty solid list, to be honest. Um, like I said, I, I'd prefer to see, keep Tundercliffe, but you'd probably need another adventurous midfielder as well, who's more likely a cam who can drop further back if playing a 4-3-3. Uh, it's a rough one to say you get rid of Sean Brackett entirely because I just don't think they'll do it for obvious reasons. Player of the season last season, been there at the club a long time. Some solid performances this season, but we know what he is, like we said earlier. So I don't see it happening myself. So he'll be around the squad regardless, I think. And yeah, uh, a comparable player to Ogilvy, who I think they should extend at left back. I think that'd be brutal. It'll be interesting to see how Paddy Lane does on the right-hand side. We haven't seen much of him, again, due to injury, but also poor performances in the meantime. He didn't really look right at the cam anyway when he when he played. He didn't look brutal on the left side either, so... I think he'll be suited as he said his natural position of right wing. And yeah, some backup strikers for Colby Bishop because uh, we will need that. Some young players who maybe offer a different mould to Colby. Maybe a smaller player who's a bit more pacey and what's his for a bit of counter attacking. Yeah, yeah. Or or, or maybe even that and maybe another standard target man as well. So you got a little bit of everything because a 4 3 3 is a flexible formation. Um, Bishop is like, Ticks pretty much ticks all the boxes, really, aside from pace, I think. So if you get a striker who's a bit more direct and a bit more pacey, and then you have a striker who's a, a proper hold, hold the ball up striker for maybe those other uh, other teams where they've got large defences, I, I think having one of each would be very good, I think. Thanks, everyone, Mr. Stin. Let's move on, Fred. And let's talk about the game that everyone wants to know about. The game that you're travelling to Shrewsbury for in a car, I believe, with Adam. Is that yeah, correct? yeah. Adam's Adam's very kind of giving him a lift if I uh, pay him in some pints. So I obviously will do that. Very kind of him. Saves me going from Portsmouth to London, then London to Birmingham, then Birmingham to Shrewsbury and back again in a day. So that's very kind of him. But yeah, never been to that ground before. We'll see. I don't know what it's like. I heard it's one of the messiest, partiest places in the world, mate. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's like us staying in Nottingham, I mean, for Derby away. It's going to be a crazy night. But let's get to talking quickly about Shrewsbury because they, at one point, looked like they were actually really going to threaten us, didn't they? And the teams above. However, their recent run of form has been pretty terrible. Um, <laughs> they've lost the last four games. They lost to Ipswich 2 now. They lost to Charlton 6 now. Had a player sent off in that game as a side note. They lost at home to Peterborough 3-0 and they lost against Barnsley 2-1, which again is a pretty solid result, really. It's not not the end of the world. We all saw what Barnsley did to us, especially away from home. We know what to expect from a Steve Cottrell side, don't we? They're going to play a 3-5-2, probably. They are going to be a team who set up pretty hard. I like the centre-midfield partnership of Cole Winchester and Leroy Leahy in the centre. Jordan Shipley again on the left wing. I think it's a good player who can create stuff as well. They play Phillips at Cam. Not as bothered about him, but, you know, Shea Dunkley in the centre, Flanagan. They are a very solid upper mid-table team in League One who play a very solid formation who are hard to break down and, for my opinion, pretty decent in centre midfield. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like you mentioned, Luke Leahy. And Carl Winchester, that's the strongest bit of their team, I think. And then Jordan Shipley, uh, 
uh, wing back as well, who's the, who's one of their creative forces with four goals and six assists this season. They're sort of the team that Portsmouth don't really like to match up against because they're very physical and their strongest bit is in the midfield and they can break things down very easily and stop play getting out to the wide areas, for example. On the positive side for Pompey, Shrewsbury don't really have a goal scorer. Salop's top goal scorer is Christian Sadie with seven. And aside from that, there's nothing else. Daniel Odoi, who got into double figures at one point in League One, has not shown up at all. I don't know if that's due to injury. It does help that their skipper Tom Bayliss is injured for the rest of the season. He's also a very good player in the centre midfield when he does play. So the matchup might be a bit, might cause some problems, especially away from home. But obviously with Pompey's five points left and Shrewsbury also losing those games and they're effectively out of the playoff race now. It's the sort of game that Pompey now now are in the position and they have to get three points out of it uh, to have any small hope and prayer of getting promoted. And I guess to try and break them down, they need proper movement off the ball to move through Winchester and Leahy, create some spaces, create those gaps, even when Shrewsbury sit back a bit. I don't think they'll sit back at home. They're not that sort of side. They're a very good side, so I don't think they will do. But we just need to exploit the space with high pace attacking football. And then hopefully give Bishop a chance, which would be good. But aside from that, if they play like they did against Morecambe, they're, they're losing to this side quite handily, I think. They are. And, you know, Dunkley in the middle with Flanagan, et cetera, they haven't got a lot of pace at the back though. So if you can sort of transition quickly on top of them and run at them with extra runners coming from midfield, the likes of like when Tom Larry did that against Morecambe, but hopefully with someone who can finish. That's the way I think you score goals against this sort of Shrewsbury side. I'm a little bit worried about how we set up in centre midfield. I'd be interested to hear if you think we should rotate the centre midfield that we played or whether you play it in exactly the same way we set up against Morecambe. It might be a case of John Massinio wanting Louis Thompson in there for a bit more grit to try and match up with Leahy and Winchester. Obviously, that causes problems going forward because, you know, you won't have Morell and Lowry combo, but you don't have that anyway. So you may as well try and match up to a certain degree. And we keep on talking about Louis Thompson being the more defensive of our options. He's a very good footballer still. We're, we're not discounting it on that regard. It's just that his strength is anchoring the midfield. But also Marlon Pack's strength is anchoring the midfield. So I do think Louis Thompson will get some minutes in this game, regardless of starting. If they go for the Tunnicliffe-Pack-Lowry combination, I don't think it's bad. Or if you swap out Louis Thompson for Ryan Tunnicliffe, fine. Or you could even go, if you want to be more aggressive, you go for the four-two-three-one with Hackett at Cam, but I don't think Messina will do that. We haven't seen evidence of him doing that. So it'll be either the first two options, I think. I think to start with, Louis Thompson being on the pitch will help with grit, I think, just to stabilise Pompey in this game. Because if Pompey go on like a large spell the first half without controlling the midfield and not creating any chances, I could see the game slipping. Yeah, same here. I'd like to see Thompson play a little bit more of a box-to-box role if you're going to stick Pack behind him in the sort of playmaking, deep-line midfielder role. Riley Towler has to come back in or you, you bring in Deshaun Bernard or someone with a bit of pace. Someone who can bring the ball out and mean that our centre midfielders aren't coming so deep to collect the ball. If we get in a situation now where you've got a slow centre-back pairing with Robertson in there alongside Raggett, we're going to struggle to get the ball up again and get it through. We're also not going to have quite as much time on the ball at the back there. Shrewsbury probably, they're not necessarily a high-pressing team from memory, but they're at home. 
and they're not going to allow us to necessarily just dawdle and get the ball through like someone like Morecambe, generally speaking, will will lay off you a little bit, a bit in that position. So I'd like to see Eva Towler, which I think should come back into the team and provide a little bit more passing ability there and get the ball out quicker. Or why not give Deshaun Bernard an opportunity now, someone with a bit of pace who, who can actually bring the ball forward, who provides an option as well to the holding midfielder, like Pack, for instance, in that position. That when he passes the ball, he moves into position there to receive a pass and play it forward. I think that's going to be really needed against a, a really tough fighting team. And then Thompson ahead, maybe in the box to box role, who can get forward, but also steal the ball of their midfielders, harass them, not give them time on the ball alongside someone like Tom Lowry could be quite effective. All right. Let's look at the wingers. Who's going to play? This is the sort of hopeless position here. I think he carries on probably starting Dale in the team. I don't think that's going to change. And then who do you play on the right hand side or the left either way? Cause he seems to chop and change. He's playing. He'd probably, Dale go on the right. He'd probably go for Jacobs, wouldn't he? Le- You'd left like side to see that. I think so. Is he fit? I mean, I would have liked to see him in the last game if he was fit, really. But, okay, let's just say Dale and Jacobs then on each side and Colby through the middle. I think that's probably more likely. What are you feeling about this game then, Fred? After the last game and the MK game, it's a little bit hard to get as excited up, isn't it? For, for a necessary reports of win but as I said Shrewsbury haven't won in four games they are there for the taking I want to know your score prediction please mate and any goal scorers uh, I'm going to be a bit more negative this time um, I think considering the last two games I don't think Pompey got the wit to break down Shrewsbury I don't think they're going to lose the game but I don't think they're going to get the three points needed to keep the playoff hope alive I'm going to say a one all draw I'm going to go with Colby scoring, but then I'll go for Jordan Shipley scoring for Salop. I'm looking at their results and I thought about 1-1 as well. Didn't score against Ipswich, didn't score against Charlton, didn't score against Peterborough and got one goal away at Barnsley. This has nil-nil written all over it for me again. Second consecutive game of not scoring for Pompey. Can't break down Morecambe. Unless they change things a lot, how we just spoke about a minute ago, I can't see us scoring either. And I think this, if that happens, we'll just see the season peter out quite, quite slowly. And yeah, I'm going for no goal scorers and a no no draw. All right. Fred, it's been great having your podcast as always. Always a pleasure, Hugh. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, I'm still enjoying these, um, all 183 episodes. Obviously I wasn't on for all of them, but yeah, we've certainly gone through a lot, haven't we? We have. Chuck us some positivity, Pompey. Sign some good players in the summer. And let's get an injection of positivity going forward. But you never know. Maybe we just sort of rebound from that shocking performance against Morecambe, smash Shrewsbury 3 now, and at least put some pressure on the teams ahead of us, even if we're not going to make it, because it's pretty unlikely now. But it'd be nice to see us put some pressure on, wouldn't it, in these last few games and give a few teams ahead of us something to look over their shoulder for. But until next time, play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!